passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are back here at Post Wrestling, and speaking of back, this man is making the return to the ring this coming Friday night for West Coast Pro Wrestling. After a small break of 1,350 days, Chris Hero returning to the ring on Friday night against Timothy Thatcher, and he is here joining us on Post Wrestling, I think to kick off what will be a big big week, the return of the hero himself. Chris Hero here on Post Wrestling. John, I didn't know you were a math magician. You know what? Well I can't claim to be a mathematician, but Google is. And it tells me 1,350 days since March the 7th of 2020 for NXT UK. <sighs> a battle royal in which I was eliminated first. <laughs> but it still counts. It still counts on Cage Man, Chris. That was a, that was a crazy weekend, man. That was, um, we heard about the coronavirus. Uh, we flew over anyway. Um, I was nervous. Uh, sure. everybody else seemed to be, Okay, people that you would think would know were like, ah, you know, uh, but I was I was really stressed. And then we um, flew home and then that's when you started seeing the masks pop up. And I was like, oh, yeah. So crazy time. Three and a half years have passed. And here we are. Did you like obviously at the time, no one's predicting what would come with the pandemic. But at what point did you believe like this was going to be such an extended time away from the ring was it just a lot of outside of the ring circumstances or was this almost a conscious effort that you wanted a bit of a of a break well if there was no pandemic um and i just happened to be released i'm sure i just would have hit the ground running and started working on shows whatever was open uh you know try to find the hottest places try to find some places that had good energy and just i would have started to get at it but the caveat was people were traveling uh, like we weren't in a pandemic and yep. performing in front of crowds of strangers like we weren't in a pandemic. And I was just like, man, I can't, I don't know, man. I'm just, it just stressed me out too much. I wasn't comfortable with it. Uh, so that was my initial thing. I'm like, well, cause eventually, you know, the, the moment news got out, you know, I had like a video and I had like a graphic uh, with like the Cassius Ono boots, like it left in the ring. Um, so like my mindset was, okay, I just can't wait to get back and start doing some stuff. Uh, but you know, circumstances and after it had been a little while and people were starting to come back more, there were crowds at bigger shows. 
I was like, okay, I want to come back, but where, where, like I had, you know, heard, you know, had some nice offers from a lot of different people, but, and, and, you know, they, they weren't bad, but it just didn't have that feeling. You know, I had, yeah. I wanted to find something that I was really genuinely excited about. Um, and I just couldn't see myself anywhere really, you know, and just the different offers that I had. And some of them were, you know, what's the follow-up going to be? Some of them were, um, this is too short of notice. Um, but then, you know, it's like, I'm looking for this perfect scenario that just doesn't exist. Right. Uh, and then also weighing heavily on me was how fast the pro wrestling news cycle is and how I, this is my example. I've probably even said it on your show before. It's like mania weekend. There are 20, 30, 40 shows, right? And there's some really fucking good wrestling. There's a lot of the best wrestlers in the world all converge in that area and they, uh, you know, just have these great matches. And then when the week is done, fans only have the capacity to like retain so much. Um, and I just didn't want to come back and then have like, Oh, I'm back. And then, all right, cool. Right. So, uh, an example of this was I, uh, started working on a podcast with Conrad Thompson. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Conrad was great. Um, we recorded, I think about 11 episodes of, of various things, but it just, I, I wanted, I wanted more out of it. And I just didn't want, I, I wanted everything I did to be like must see. I wanted it to be appointment viewing, appointment listening, whatever. And then it just, I don't know. I just kept feeling like, Oh, this is kind of tough. Right. So, uh, I moved, uh, we moved up to Charlotte, uh, and then I took a hiatus from the podcast, which ended up being indefinite. Right. But then I started noticing like people a year, year and a half, two years later, Hey, uh, how's the podcast going? I'm like, damn, oh, I only did like 11 episodes. So like, but people see a thing, but unless it's in their immediate peripheral, they just, think that it exists and they don't have a reason to seek it out. Right. So I didn't want to come back and be like, you know, putting my all and effort into all these matches and try to build these things just with a limited reach. If that makes sense. Um, it, I, I want it to be memorable, you know, and I feel like I didn't have the perfect, perfect situation. So I was able to get with West coast pro a place that I really truly believed in and a place that believed in me. And we were able to create what, to me feels like the perfect scenario. And this perfect scenario for you, it will be with uh, Timothy Thatcher this coming yes. Friday that I think long time, uh, observers might remember that your first meeting in the ring, it was not Timothy Thatcher and Chris hero, but rather Chris Hyde and Bryce Braxton Collins. Oh, BBC wrestling retribution project that if you were not around in 2011, this is like the, the mysterious promotion that had so much intrigue behind it taking mm -hmm. existing wrestlers putting them under new personas you guys did like what a week a couple days of tapings yeah and, like four days or so and they pretty much never saw the light of day until they were dumped on youtube unedited years after the fact but mm -hmm. this had so much hype uh from jeff katz and you were in the midst of this and this would have been your first match with timothy thatcher yeah, first time uh I had ever met him. I didn't, you know, he was like a NorCal based wrestler. Um I'm not even sure what his direct connection was to getting booked on those shows. Um I had met Jeff Katz years earlier and he had talked about, 
doing something. But that those set of tapings were really important for me because I had signed with WWE and because of my testosterone situation um, with the medical, I, they rescinded my contract. Mm. So I moved down to Tampa to start with FCW and I wasn't able to start with FCW. So I was in this weird limbo of like, I've finished up with everybody that I'm working for and now I have no money coming in. (laughs) So it took me, if you look at it, it took me five months from the moment I moved to Tampa to actually starting with FCW. So that was like five months of limbo where I was able to get on a, a handful of shows. I did like a PWG. I did like a, um, like a final battle appearance uh, and a follow-up for ROH. But these tapings, four days, went to Hollywood, uh, shot it like right by Jim Henson Studios. There's a statue of one of the dinosaurs from that dinosaur show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Earl Sinclair, right, was right outside there. We were in this fancy place. And I got, you know, four, was it four or five days of, of good pay when I really, really needed it and then got to just – see so many people from different areas of my career, people that I had met for the first time, people that I had worked with for a very long time. And just, we got to be a part of this like special thing that like <laughs> no, no one ever, there's like a group photo of all of us, but like people until the pandemic, none of that footage existed um, or, or very limited bits of it. So it's like, like I was in a multi-man match with the amazing red, uh, but he was not the amazing red and it was just very limited. That's the only time I've ever been in the ring with him. But I wrestled Luke Gallows. I wrestled, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Masters, uh, Ken Doan, um, MVP and they were all under different funky names, but it's just, a that, that, uh, week of tapings really came along when I was really hurting at that point. So I, I think back fondly to that week in LA at that point. Are you looking at WWE as a completely closed door? Were they, were there caveats that they said, Hey, let's revisit this in 12 months? Like what, what's your sense of things that you're right there knocking at the door? You've moved to Florida is I was WWE- told to not even come to the shows. Wow. Right. I was like, damn, I'd like to see people and say hi. And they're like, Hey, you probably shouldn't. I was like, Oh, cool. Um, and you know, that gets like depressing. You're like, Oh my God, I just upped and moved my, and I was still paying rent on my place in Pennsylvania. I hadn't completely gotten rid of it yet. So it was, it was just a lot. Um, I was basically told like paraphrasing, like, Hey, it's your issue. Deal with it. Like, we don't know why you failed the physical. We, these are the numbers that we got. So I took it upon myself and not to turn this into a whole story about that, but, um, Man, I went to like doctors and, and I messaged a ton of people. Um, and it just was really hard. People either didn't know what to do because it's this whole TE ratio thing, mm-hmm. like your test, testosterone over your epitestosterone, right? And basically if it's in a certain window, it throws up flags, right? But if it's in that window, like you have to find out what your baseline is first, because mm-hmm. I, I found a doctor, actually an incredible doctor from uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency, this guy, Dr. Don Catlin from UCLA, who did not know me, who responded to my email, pointed wow. me in the right direction. Like Don Catlin is like a powerhouse. Yes. You know, like, like a major figure in, in all. Yes. Of so I've still never met Don in person, but he actually helped me figure this out. I had to find out what the frick a carbon isotope ratio 
Is that what it is? Carbon yeah, carbon is- isotope ratio test. Yes. Yeah. So I had to figure out what that was and then figure out what endogenous and exogenous, like all these things that I don't know anything about. And then I got that test and then gave it to WWE and said, hey, look, this is coming from my body. It's not coming from outside of my body. And right. they were like, oh, okay, cool. And they set me up with another physical. I went back to Pittsburgh, did the physical again. And they said, you failed the physical. And I'm like, no shit. Like, that's the whole point. So after, you know, working my way through that a little bit, they set up a, a different set of parameters for me. Uh, and then I was able to start. But it was just this, I didn't know what the problem was. I didn't know if something was wrong with my body. Uh, it made me nervous to take any kind of a, a pre-workout or, or protein or just, it, I didn't know what the hell was going on. So it, that's why I had five months of purgatory. Um, you know, Claudio and I are coming in together and then he gets a five month head start on me, the jerk. And, uh, you know, he just passes with flying colors and then I get there and then Dr. Tom's on his way out. I'm like, ah, oh. so I just, yeah. So it was, when I think of wrestling retribution project, I think of, wow, I was having a really hard time. Uh, and you know, people speak poorly of those tapings because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people put money into that and never mm-hmm. saw any return on it. I don't know the exact details of it, but it upset a lot of people. Um, but I there was just so much hype around it. Like, you yes. know, Jeff Katz did a great job of selling the concept. You just had a lot and some really interesting names. This is, you know, Kenny Omega when a lot of wrestling fans are, you know, was he not- Scott Carpenter? Oh, some of the names here, like yeah. Father Dante, Concrete, Punchline, uh, Stan Shooter. I mean, um, they were just like all brand yes. new names. Chris Hyde, of course. Chris uh, Hyde. Ferris Gotch. Um. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This, and man, every now and again, that'll come up in a locker room conversation. We're like, what a weird, crazy time that was. And this was for the listeners. This was like a precursor to Lucha Underground because that's what he wanted it totally. to be. He wanted it to be episodic weekly on Netflix, but it just, uh, you know, it, 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 it was not, <laughs> and you can watch the footage back and go, Oh, there's something there, but it's not, that's not it. Getting back to the, the match for Friday. And again, this will be streaming live Friday night uh, from San Francisco and it will be live and free on YouTube. So you can uh, follow their YouTube page, West coast pro wrestling uh, to check out the match. And, at what point was the decision made that this is my return match and how long has this been in, in the works for you getting, getting set for Friday night? It, I knew I wanted to do something, but I just didn't know what it was. So I had in uh, last year, um, gosh, over a year and a half ago, um, Rachel and myself went out to West coast pro. She had a match. Uh, I had a seminar. I did a signing, uh, and I just got to watch, you know, not the whole show, but a good amount of the show. It was from the state room in South San Francisco. I met Scott. I spent a little time with him. Um, we went to a Warriors game. Like it was just, you know, great, great weekend. And I came away from that feeling like, man, I think I could, you know, you just see, I feel it's like what a, what a hobbyist mechanic when he sees like an old, like a, a car that he's like, Ooh, I want to fix that up. I want to get fender for this. And I want to put this engine in there, or whatever. That's kind of how I felt with West coast pro. And that's not to um, make people think that there was anything wrong with West coast pro. It's just an independent wrestling company, right? With uh, independent wrestlers from all over the world uh, going out and having the best matches they could have. But, you know, I see things in a different way. And I was like, Oh, if this was moved around or if we did this or, you know, you take this person because you go to a show. If you're somebody like me, you go to one of these shows. Um, and it's like 
flattering. It's like super flattering, but then it's also like difficult because people will be like, Hey, watch, can you watch my match? Will you watch my match? Will you whatever? And more often than not, I will watch and I'm more than happy to give my opinions. But also when you don't know somebody super well, you don't know how, not how honest you can be, but how elaborate how it will be you can received. Be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, cause just because somebody asks for feedback doesn't mean they want it. Right. Or they want a specific type of feedback. So if I don't have relationships with people, it, I, I have to build that relationship. And as time goes on, that's when I start to get in a little bit more because I want them to know how I think so that when we're watching a match back, I, they do something and they're going to look at me and they're going to go, they're going to know what I'm going to say anyway. That doesn't mean they have to do it. It's just, Hey, when this situation presents itself, this is what I would do. So try that and see how it works for you. Um, something very simple that's a funny thing that comes up with me and, and one of my guys is 99 times out of 100, when a wrestler is climbing to the top rope, you can tell by their urgency or lack thereof if they're going to get cut off or not. You can just tell. They take a second. It's like climbing a ladder in a ladder match. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, your feet are 500 pounds each, and you're like – and then you stop, right? So we don't want to do things technically in a deficient, like a technically deficient way that telegraphs the next part of the story to, to the audience. It's like directors and, and writers, they write their stories in a way to have you come to a conclusion, but you don't want to give away the finish before the finish is there. And also certain things affect the fans emotionally more when like, for instance, if I tell somebody to climb to the top rope and they're going to get cut off and superplex, right? Mm-hmm. I say, you know, within the context of match, don't no sell. Don't, you know, don't ignore what's happening. But, like, climb up like you're going to fucking hit the move. Climb up exactly like you're going to hit the move and make him come stop you. Don't slow up so that he can catch up to you because then then there's just this slight moment of cooperation where the – it's not like the fans aren't going to forgive it. They don't really even care. But it's not going to be as impactful when the thing happens. But you see it. Somebody climbs up. The, imagine like Shelton Benjamin. You know, he would always do that run up to the top rope. Right. Imagine if somebody's taking their time and taking their time and they see Shelton start to gear up and then he runs to the top rope and jumps. It's going to get a great reaction. But if that person catches, you know, sets him and then darts out there and climbs up to the top rope, no business. And he fucking launches himself up there. It's a different. It's, the reaction's on a different level. And then you just hook the fans a little bit more. So the next thing you do gets a bigger reaction. So I, that's, that's a very small moment of a match, but I can go into a 10 or 15 minute thing about it. And I don't always feel comfortable doing that with somebody that I don't know because I don't want to be too aggressive. Uh, I don't want to give unsolicited advice. Uh, so it's sometimes at these shows, it gets a little tricky. But I just felt really rejuvenated seeing the fans, watching the show, being around Scott. Uh, and then fast forward, uh, you know, he approaches me again at the end of last year. And we're like, oh, man, let's talk at the beginning of next year about doing something. Um, I want to get in. I want to format the shows. I want to I want to produce the shows. I want to give every match attention before and after. Uh, and then. From show to show, I want some continuity, not storyline continuity, but continuity with the wrestlers, like uh, tag team wrestlers. Like, oh, you know, when you cut somebody off, oh, when you put heat on somebody, oh, when you are feeding a, a hot tag, whatever. Those kind of things, 
I want to see that development over time, but like, I want them to see it and I want that light bulb to go off. And it's just, it's really gratifying when you see somebody like figure it out and then they mm-hmm. come back from a match. The match doesn't even have to be the best match, but something has to work. That happened the other night at AEW. Uh, when I was working with somebody, it was a dark match. It wasn't even on TV. There was just a thing or two about taking a second and looking this way, doing that. And it just felt really good to see them like, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And I heard the referee and what, like, I, I live for those moments. So I was able to work with Scott. He gave me a lot of freedom. Um, you know, it's not my company. It's his company. It's his company that he had put four years in before I ever came there and trusted me. And I, you know, gained his trust over time to where even if I said something that he might have a slight disagreeance with, he was, you know, 50, 50, let me try one thing. The other thing, let's go with his, whatever. So over time working with him, working with Vinny, we just, I don't know, man, it just felt good. It felt like if I felt like I was part of something, it felt like a home to me, even though I'm only out there, you know, one week a month, um, being at the school, um, he, Scott is just a very generous promoter. Um, he's not generous in the way that a money mark would be like the, just throwing money around. He just wants people. Cause we had Kenta Kobashi. We had Manami Toyota. Uh, we've had Chigusa Nagayo and her crew. Um, Ultimo. Um, we just have had many, many luminaries come over and he always treats them with great respect. Uh, and then it's also not like, you're just part of the group. You're there for West Coast weekend. And it's like, man, all right, what, what is this experience? Like, you know, we'll go out, we'll have a dinner. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll do the day of the show. It's very casual. Um, he just really created something awesome there. And I'm very fortunate to feel a part of it. And as far as when it was decided to have the match with Thatcher, um, I thought it was, a, it was going to be a possibility. I'm like, I'm because this has to get in order, my body, and then this has to be in order. It's just tough. It's tough, right? So he allowed me time to kind of figure that out. And then something presented itself. We looked at some dates. Well, what's the best way to do this? We don't want to just spring it out of nowhere. Let's at least have a show to build. What's a show that we can do it on? And then there we go. And we had kind of talked about a couple different possibilities. And then this just worked out perfectly last show. Um, I made the match between him and JT Thorne. Um, you know, JT is the first graduate of the West Coast Dojo. Uh, and you know, as a young wrestler, you don't really know shit until you get in there with somebody that's a real professional. So he got in there with Tim. Tim took some liberties, which brought me out feeling, you know, like responsible for putting him in that situation. And then that re-sparked uh, the rivalry between Tim and myself. It was a, an electric atmosphere. Even watching it back on tape, uh, doesn't quite capture as, as, as hot and frenetic as it was. Uh, and it just felt right, man. It just felt right. And I can't think of a better opponent, um, to have a comeback match against, to test myself against. And also, you know, someone that's fun to punch in the face. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. 
and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It really comes through in, in this in this chat that I, I don't think anyone that listens to your interviews would ever question like your love of professional wrestling. It comes through, but it does seem like it's it's something like you've struggled. Like what what is my place in this this modern industry? And I think personally, it's really cool that you're coming back in this West Coast Pro setting. Like I am sure you have had quite the number of offers <laughs> that you have looked at and made decisions upon. But for me, like yourself. um, I, I look at you and, and Colt as two guys that really did set the tone that WWE is not the be all end all. Like you can leave there. Your career is not over. Like your independent run of 2014, 15, 16, I look as one of the, the great runs of just putting so many names on the map. You had this fledgling streaming company and flow slam that brought a lot of these promotions and matches to people's laptops and and then boom, you go back to WWE, and then here you are putting like West Coast Pro that's getting all of this attention now, and it seems like this is like your your place that you feel that has you know really you've you've found that perfect match. Yeah, thank thank you for that, John. I appreciate that. Um, another thing I struggled with independent wrestling wise, and I always keep my ear to the street. I always try to see whose names are floating around. I try to watch a little bit of footage and see what's going on. Um, and this is not a knock on any company, right? Because you only do what you can and you only have the resources that you have. That's all you have. Right. Um, I think independent wrestling, uh, got a little homogenized with stylistically, but then also talent wise, um, you had NXT aggressively pursuing young and upcoming talent and established talent. And maybe they weren't so young, but just people that were out there doing, doing good. Then this company sprouted out of nowhere and gave jobs to a ton of people, right? Then a pandemic hit. And now a lot of people in that area, their growth was kind of stunted by, it's like 
I don't know. You are finally getting into high school. You're an eighth grader going into uh, your freshman year and you get to high school and there are no sophomores. There's no juniors. There's no seniors. It's not the same experience, right? You could still learn, but there's just something about that experience in general of being around people um, that have been there and have done that. And also, yeah, it's every, you also, you can't lose who you are in the process, like every unique talent has to figure out that thing about them that's unique. And some people may try to suppress it when you're trying to like, you should do things this way or do them that way. Or what do you, this gimmick is dumb, like whatever, like, but people have to figure it out for themselves. So there's just a bit of a gap between my most recent run on the Indies and now, and things are catching up. Things are catching up a little bit and they're not quite as dire as, as they once seemed, but you can watch a clip online of an independent wrestling show of somebody doing a move and it's very possible that it's a move you've seen done by a hundred people, right? It's two guys that you're familiar with. Um, the ring, you know, there's nothing discernible about the ring, the venue, the fans, the whatever. And you're kind of like this clip could be attributed to any of six, maybe seven promotions out there. Uh, because everybody wants to use talented people. So what talented people are there? And then, you know, people are out there hustling and getting on as many shows as possible. It's hard for an independent wrestling company to have an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something I've, something that West Coast was already working on. They really had a, a very grassroots West Coast base. Uh, but like we are, our matches need to look a little bit different. Our ring needs to look different. Our audience needs to look different. So what can we do? To just because when you can't be better than the best, right? You just have to be different, yep. right? Because if there are, you know, three or four main promotions and there are six or seven next tier promotions, well, how do you fucking pop out of that? How do you get out of the pack, right? If you can't compete with the top and then you're kind of, you just have to do something different. That's, um, another thing that I had learned working for PWG so much because we always had so many great wrestlers from all over the world, different styles. Right. And how are you going to stand out on that show? (laughs) What are you going to do? Are you going to be the match that has the best false finishes? Are you going to be the match that has the, the stiffest brawl? Like what, what are you going to do? Are you going to have real heat in your match? Um, Are you going to try to do something different? Um, my match was Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, from a mystery vortex for PWG. Um, Zack's one of my favorite opponents of all time. Just favorite. I've wrestled him across so many promotions, many different countries. Um, reaching into my rental car to grab my bag, I sliced my finger open. Uh, just, just completely, I still have, um, I still have like this little white bit on my finger from it. Uh, and it just cut it nice and clean, right? This is a brand new rental car. So, I, you know, bandaged it up the best I could. Uh, and then I was going to have this technical masterpiece with Zach, like, cause that's what we do, you know, and I'm, I'm being kind of facetious when I say technical masterpiece, but you know what I mean? Of course. Um, wrestling him, me, whatever. And then 30 seconds into the match, this fucker knocks my bandaid off. <laughs> so I'm like, well, what can I do? I mean, it's bleeding like, oh, it's bleeding a lot. Oh my God. This is real. It won't stop bleeding. So the match then took a turn to be about my bloody ass finger. And uh Zach is just the perfect opponent for that because he does his digital manipulation where he takes you and bends you and does stuff. And it just added a different element to my match that if you put that match 
just move wise and structure wise and finish wise up against my other matches with Zach, it's not going to, you know, come out as like the best ever. But because of that, it stands out and people talk to me about that match all the time where it's like, Oh, remember that match or whatever. And it's like, what's funny is that's not the match that I wanted to have. I wanted to have a different match that night, but sometimes you just got to roll with the punches or roll with the gap bloody fingers. <laughs> When when you mentioned uh, getting physically ready and mentally ready for this match, how, as we are just days out from this match on Friday night, how do you feel? Don't remind me, John. Don't remind me. Gosh. Is this a lot on your shoulders going into this? Just given, you know, there's certainly an expectation for this match and it's, you know, a lot of people are looking at just the amount of time. Um, I, I'm sure like that is, is weighing on you. Um. It is a lot. And I think the cool thing to say would be like, no, nah, man, I'm not phased. Like, this is just what I do. Right. But, um, this, it, this is my life, you know, 25 plus years of my existence have been de- devoted to being a professional wrestler and being in professional wrestling and learning about it and trying to just do better than I did before. Right. So it, and the, the last three and a half years of, self-doubt and, you know, doubt within the industry and, you know, does anybody want me? What do they want me for? Um, where, you know, where am I going to go? Um, <laughs> how am I going to make a living? Uh, that, that kind of stuff. It has weighed very heavily on me. Um, and I, you know, I've always wanted to come back. There was never a moment where I said, you know what? I think I might be done. I, I'm just too stubborn for that. Um, and then I've just felt for all of my supporters over the years that like, just have impressed upon me how much they miss seeing me wrestle and how badly they've rooted for me or when I went back to NXT or how hard they pulled for me or my merch that they bought. Like that really, that's not, that's not nothing. You know what I mean? That's people's love and support. Um, and that makes me feel responsible. Right. So I'm like, I need to come back, not just for me, but for the people that have supported me. So I'm working on getting myself physically there. It's tough. You know, what can you do in a month's time to prepare for this? You can do some something, but the real test will be uh, when I'm in there with, uh, um, man, uh, pro, pro wrestling's groundskeeper, Willie, uh, mm-hmm. Tim Thatcher. You know, he just is so – his muscles have muscles. He's just got that, like, gotch strength about him, you know. Um, I – and then also just some the the different things that I'm doing in collaboration with this show. Like by the time this airs, um, Joseph Monticilio has done yeah. a video essay of my series with Thatcher, uh, which I'm very proud of. Uh, IQ Wrestler did uh, just a an incredible hype video, um, just highlighting the different matches we've had and the different sequences. It just I don't know, man. It just uh, that that has helped me through cardio a time or two. Um, the t- the official shirt for the T-show, uh, sorry, the official T-shirt for the show was designed by Haru Egawa, uh, the legendary Haru who has, you know, designed Terry Funk shirts for years. But then also he was, he wrote, he made the Bullet Club shirt. Uh, he's done countless shirts for, for New Japan, for Pro Wrestling Noah, uh, for All Japan. Like he's just the guy. He did all the old ECW shirts, not all of them. Sorry, Taz. Um, he did a lot of the old ECW shirts, the iconic ones. Um, and just to one, be, be friends with him, but then also have him be able to collaborate with him professionally. Um, 
it's, it's just, it's really special. I used to do these shows in Pittsburgh and IWC and, uh, Haru before I had met him in person was friends with, uh, Shirley Doe from the Pittsburgh area. And he collaborated with IWC and did show poster shirts of like Dusty Rhodes versus Jerry Lawler. And uh, they had Mick Foley come in for a show and they did these like cartoon realistic shirts that were just, this is 2003. Then I was like, man, those shirts are so cool. They brought in the triple threat. So there's all three guys with the triple threat on the shirt. It just looks really cool. So now 20 years later, I'm able to get one of these out for West Coast Pro for, for my return match. So that, that's special. I'm sitting here talking with you, John Pollock. Uh, you know, I recorded an interview with the ringer this week. I'm going to go and busted, busted open for the first time. So there's a lot going on opposed to just putting on some tights and locking up in the ring. Um, and then also getting gear. That's another thing too, right? I had to put spandex on the other day for the first time in three and a half years. And it's, you know, it sucks. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of people are looking forward to this. I think you have like created like a uh, a section of the, the wrestling audience that is really looking forward to this on Friday night. Uh we will get all of the information out there, but before we wrap things up, I <clears throat> wanted to I wanted to play a game with you. So if you are are down Chris, uh a lot of people I'm sure can see in the background here that are watching the video version, you are quite the the book connoisseur and uh you have quite a lot of uh, wrestling titles in there. So what I wanted to do was throw a few titles your way. And number one, if you have read the book and be a quick one line review of said book, if, if it is in your collection. So put me, throw... put, put me on the spot, John. Let's go. Okay. We're, we're going to start off with one that I recently read and I know you own this one. This is the, the Saturday afternoon war by Tony Earnshaw mm-hmm. on, uh, the history of a world of sport is, uh, uh, this one, uh, a, a quick thought. Um, I'm just so, it's, it's, I didn't even grow up with that era, but I kind of like wrestling grew up on discovering Johnny Saint, uh, and, and all of those guys. So it's very nostalgic for me. And there's so little information about them out there. So that John Lister's book, I love. It's just really cool to be able to dip in there. And, uh, I don't know. You just look stuff up that's not even on the internet. Right. So a lot of these stories don't even exist. If you go to like wrestling furnace or whatever, one of those old sites, you can mm-hmm. find things. But like, I just, um, I haven't, I have not read the entire book. You know, a lot of these books shoot, you know, some of them I haven't even cracked open, you know, a lot, you know, a handful of them, um, I've started and then haven't gotten through. And then there's a bunch of them that I've read, but I just, one, I like having them to like, whenever I need to know something or get something, or I need to dive into something, it's like, they're right accessible. There. Right. So I, I, I'm very glad. And I wish more, more books focusing on the, the British era of wrestling that, that British era of wrestling existed. How about this one? This this one is an oldie, but many people's oh. first maybe. Oh Fear my Dynamite gosh. Here by uh, Tom Billington. This came out in 1999, a brutally honest account from a mm-hmm. uh, late Tom Billington. Yeah. I borrowed that book in the year 2000, uh, from my, uh, he would go on to be my roommate, Mark Wolf. Um, and I, it's great. You know, I'd been wrestling two years at that time, but my knowledge of dynamite kid was very little. I knew the British bulldogs and I knew that people said dynamite kid was good, but reading that book, uh, and it's a very cynical take on wrestling. It's very honest too. Yep. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I think Mick's book came out First, they're both right around the same time. They're right about the same time. And like yeah. those two books were like must read for, 
fans of pro wrestling and then also people in the industry. And it's important to, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think Dynamite's book was like the prototype for Brett's book because Brett yes. was very honest and very in depth and detailed. And it's like, you could see, you know, even though they clashed and butted heads on some things, but you could see like, oh, there's, there's where some of that uh, blunt honesty comes from. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I, that book is great. You know, re, you know, regardless of what you think of, of dynamite as, as a human or the things that he did in his lifetime. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely would recommend that book. This is a rare one. I don't know that this one might not even be in Chris Hero's collection. If it is, I'll be impressed. This was sent to me actually by a listener. This is stranglehold by the former voice of the AWA, Larry Nelson. Um, Ooh. this book, uh, my review, insane that's my review okay that's my so, review uh okay so i do own the book oh wow i, I have not read it i believe <laughs> i i forget where it came from somebody gifted it to me um okay. when you have the reputation of being a wrestling nerd like i do um you know i'll just have people that like read books and they finish them and go hey here you go have, have this one so uh you know there's a good portion of books on that shelf that were gifted to me from people larry nelson um the thing I remember of him is the Derek Dukes, Colonel De Beers angle. Oh, yes. Uh, and he's like, you know, he's going to, he, he wants, uh, Colonel De Beers wants to paint Derek Dukes, Dukes white. And then like Derek Dukes is like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get him. I'm going to paint him white. And Larry Nelson is like, Oh God. Like he's so satisfied by this threat. Uh, it's a great YouTube video. If you check out Larry Nelson, Derek Dukes. It's that's awesome. If you can get what your hands on this book, it's a it's a wild read yeah. from uh, from Larry Nelson. I'll do, I'll do two more here, okay? Now this one, George Hackenschmidt, The mm. Way to Live. Have you ever seen this one? This is I a, do not have that book. No. Yeah, this is one that a, a friend of mine actually saw and uh, thought of me. So I have not read it myself, but I was going to throw that out. And the final one here, okay? We're going to go uh, off kilter here. Showtime by Jeff Perlman. This was the, uh, the book that inspired a winning time, the late great winning time, which was, uh, my favorite show on television that got canceled. Oh my gosh. I'm poor one out for that, that series. I haven't even finished season two because oh, it just so it's such a depressing end. Like it's oh. like the series can't end on this note. That's all I'll say. Yeah. What a, what a great bombastic series. I'm really hoping that there's, a groundswell to kind of get that picked up somewhere and done, done, but you know, it's, you got to finish the story. You got to finish the story, man. Uh, here, let me, uh, contribute a moment to this, uh, game. Give me one moment. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to, uh, now if you see in the background here, this is, uh, quite the impressive shelf that I have seen some, uh, some close up photos of in the past. And this, uh, inspired, uh, such a game here to go into our, uh, collective, wrestling book uh, collections and see uh, what Chris is going to be pulling out here. Now, if you're just listening on audio, we we are three stacks deep here into Chris Hero's personal collection of wrestling books. And I'm wondering how far, how obscure he is going to go. All right. He is, he has grabbed a few titles and he is now returning. And let's see what is in the very prestigious Chris Hero collection of books. Okay, maybe you put some Jeopardy music on. Oh no, I did commentary of you uh, commentary. and, and uh, staking out the other uh, picks. Okay, so these are just three books that I love for different okay. reasons. Um, the first one is this just incredible eighty-five years of lucha libre. Oh wow, this this I do not have. I have it is um, a very thick book, um, and it's uh, you know 
just so many, so many great photos and, and just there's some, there's some, uh, you know, paintings throughout. Um, I will say that I have not read this book. <laughs> I've read bits of it. It's obviously in Spanish, but just an, an exceptional, you know, history, history of, uh, uh, Lucha Libre CMLL. We talk about historical UK books. I mean, Lucha books, especially in English. I mean, yes. you would just love to, it, it's a very under, undercovered area, like massive area of professional yeah. Um, and it's a bit promising that some of these older luchadors are doing long form interviews now right. where they'll talk about stuff. I, I, you know, I get, I'll see either Lucha blog or Rob Viper kind of talk about it. And it's like, you know, these, wrestlers that weren't the stars, but they worked with all the stars. So it's really interesting to get their takes. And I hope that someone is out there cataloging all of this so we can, you know, have a, have a frame of reference. Right. That and translating all the Japanese books. When I was over in Japan and just seeing all these books and I was like, Oh my goodness, the, the, the cottage industry that could be uh translations of us. Yes. And that's a, that's a conversation I've had many times. Um, one of my, one of my very good friends, uh, his name is Eugene Nagasawa. Uh, he is a professor um, on philosophy of religion, okay. and uh, he most recently worked at the University of Birmingham in England, and he's actually moving to Oklahoma uh, at the end of this year, beginning of next year, to start uh, you know, a residency there. Um, but he's a published author. He's like, I don't know, he's just super, super fancy, but he happens to be a pro wrestling fan. So we connected through that. He used to do my Japanese blog for me. Um, when I was over for Wembley, uh, myself, Eugene and Tony Schiavone were able to sit and talk for a couple hours. It was a nice kind of, oh, wow. you know, um, you know, crash of two different worlds for me. But Eugene would like, I'm a, I'm a massive Kawada fan. So he would read the Kawada book. And if there were certain parts that were interesting, he'd be like, Hey, he tells the story. He did this and whatever. So I have these emails and messages with just, you know, these different stories in there and whenever there's something. Uh, you know, I've got a number of different resources when I'm trying to get some details on something, but he's a person that I really go to a lot to just kind of, gosh, cause it's so, it's, these people are gold so, mines when it comes to, it's so to, fascinating. All yeah. of these things, you know, all those different books. Um, another one of my favorite books is a very hard one to come across. Um, Hey boy, where'd you get them ears? Yeah. I have, I have heard of this book. I yes. have not read this book though, but this I've got is a, a, I've got a photo of the man, Paul Bosch oh, himself. Wow. Look at right this. Inside. Uh, it's just a great book. You know, it's from a different time. Um, there, there's obviously, um, a lot to glean from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, just what a, he was so instrumental in wrestling and not just him, but the people that he influenced and, uh, you know, all the people that became bookers that worked with him. Um, it's just just an incredible, incredible resource. And one that I absolutely love, and this is a different kind of book. This is more of like a, uh, a tutorial kind of book. This is Gene LaBelle's Grappling World, the Encyclopedia of Finishing Holds. A classic here. Uh, and LaBelle. it is – look look how massive. Look this at is. this thing. Uh, it's got – this is the third edition with over 950 finishing holds. Um, and just Gene, uh, aside from – knowing his shit. He's just a funny guy. He's just very pokes fun at himself. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, technique photos, but there's also illustrations and, um, you know, talks about biting people and grabbing their hair. And it's just, just what a, what a funny guy. And this is one that is good to, to pop in a wrestling ring sometime and try out a couple of these holds. It's just, just a, a gold mine. 
Maybe maybe we'll see some of those techniques on Friday night. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I should bring it with so me. There you have it. Uh, you, you'll know the source if if you see any of these. But um, this is great, Chris. Um, we will have John, to. Uh, do you mind if I run down the card? Real Let's quick. go. I, I wanted to get all the information out here. So yeah, again, it's, it's coming up a uh, Friday night. And if you're in San Francisco, you can go westcoastpro.eventbrite.com. And then for everybody else, it's on YouTube at West Coast Pro Wrestling. And uh, Chris, why don't you go through some of the highlights of the card? <clears throat> um, I just, I'm just really proud of this locker room. Um, it's a, it's a dash of. International, you know, you have guys that have worked for big companies. You have guys that have worked internationally. You have people from different countries. Um, but then you also have the homegrown Bay Area talent or just California in general. So it's just, I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, all of these guys and girls. Um, we've got Kevin Blackwood kicking it off with, uh, the crazy Cajun Jaya Jewel, uh, Sandra Moon. Uh, you know, she came back from a successful tour of, uh, Marvelous not too long ago. She's back. She's facing Rachel Ellering, uh, someone I'm, I'm a fan of, as you may mm-hmm. have heard. <clears throat> Derek Dillinger, he's got a mystery opponent, um, which, you know, was supposed to be JT Thorne. Poor guy got injured, got shit kicked by Thatcher. So now we got a mystery opponent and I really love having surprises. I just love just, um, rewarding the people that are there. You know, I, I learned that a long time ago. Um, and I mean, this is an announced surprise, but I also think there's value in just, uh, you know, we were able to do, we had a bonus match uh, two shows ago in Los Angeles because some talent became available. We booked them just to, and then that was that whole black tourist situation. And we're not sure if he was going to make it, he ended up making it. So instead of switching matches around, we said, fuck it. We had a bonus match. So Fans don't want to go to five hour shows, right? They, you know, they want to go, but they don't want to stay, if that makes sense. Yes. But I love being able to provide something like last show we had a beef tank, uh, come out as, as the surprise, you know, a brandly new form tag team. But, but so that being said, so Derek Dillinger now has a mystery opponent and it's just really cool that we're able to do that, that, uh, you know, we have the, the finances, the budget to be able to do something like that, that is not going to sell another ticket, right? Um, I mentioned Beef Tank, the aforementioned, uh, Calvin Tankman in Beef, uh, from the Midwest taking on the Prisoners of Society, which is Steve Macklin and Weston Blake. I love those guys. Uh, I spent a lot of time with both of them in, uh, in NXT. Uh, Blake in particular, uh, also, you know, he was a Dory Funk guy, you mm-hmm. know, and I did some of those camps back in the day and just a, just a great guy. And these are just two physical throwback pro wrestlers. And I just thought, you know, what a hell of a match this is going to be, you know, guys that have never even met each other before. Just, you know, I, I'm, I think that's going to be a sleeper, a sleeper. We've got the South Pacific savages uh, with Jacob Fatu, journey Fatu and juicy, you know, we got some, uh, they're, they're a little hometown there, right? They've, they've built themselves up over the years and uh, seeing them live, you know, it's just a completely different, uh, it's, it's very different than seeing them on a GIF or seeing them on a YouTube video. Uh, they're I, taking on. Is, I just think this match is going to be, uh, excellent with, uh, uh, you, you may have seen them on, uh, on AEW over the weekend. Los Suavecitos, mm-hmm. a regular with West Coast Pro. Hearing Tony Schiavone say Los Suavecitos, that, that <laughs> did my heart good, man. Yes. Those kids work their asses off, man. Uh, Danny Rose, 
uh, Ricky G. We've got Adrian Quest. You know, he's their third. They did, he didn't come up together, but they met each other and it just hit it all off, right? So it's just a great pairing. They're a great little faction. Uh, and I, I may have said this to you before. They're like a, they're like a kind of like a new wave Latino PG 13. Like mm-hmm. that's how I, I look at those guys. Um, We've got Alpha Zoe, one of our homegrown guys with uh, one of his biggest tests so far. He's up against bounty hunter Brian Keith. You know, everybody's uh, favorite right now. Keith, you He's know, just his work. Up. Just, his work. I mean, when you have uh, an AEW presser and Brian Danielson saying like, oh, Brian Keith, I heard he's pretty good. I'd like to like, I mean, I can only imagine how, how he felt when he heard about that. So just a very, very cool moment. And that's just a, a test for those two guys. Both of those guys were defeated by Starboy Charlie in the West Coast Cup. So it's kind of like they're vying for an opportunity to get a, get a title shot. If, if Starboy Charlie is able to retain against his challenger, Chris Bay. Um, also, also in women's action, we have Johnny Robbie. She's a bit of a rising star. She'll appear, uh, in a, in a quick tag on ROH this week. Her and Brooke Havoc against Athena and, and Billy Starks. Johnny Robbie, uh, will be taking on Masha Slamovich, uh, you know, the, the West Coast pro, former women's champion, real ass kicker. Uh, and then you got myself and Tim in the main. So I think it's, the show gives a little bit of everything. Um, and it just it pays respect to our locals, but it also shows reverence to people that are coming in from out of town. It's just uh, it's I'm I'm really excited for this. I know we've got a bunch of people coming to West Coast Pro shows that have never been before, uh, but we also have all our all our locals. You know, we've got uh, people that will be at this show that were in attendance for my actual first match with Tim Thatcher, uh, Mania Weekend 2015, right down the street in uh, in San Jose. Um, that was a very special match for me. That was my first time really, really wrestling Thatcher. Um, you know, he wasn't Bryce Braxton Collins. Um, <laughs> but it's just really cool that, you know, people will be able to, um, you know, watch us in the ring. And they'll have been there eight years ago. Um, so it's it's important for me to to reward those people that have been patient and have supported both Tim and myself over the years. Well, as Chris Hero said uh, a year ago with the great Andrew Thompson of – Post-wrestling, I will say that I am content, but I'm not satisfied. I got plenty more to do, and I think I have something. My body of work speaks for itself, but I think I have something in here that can really change things, and I'm going to keep working toward it. And it all goes towards this Friday. Chris Hero in action against Timothy Thatcher, YouTube, West Coast Pro Wrestling. And uh, Chris, I I could chat with you for hours. It's always great to uh, catch up with you. Uh, All the best going into Friday night. A lot of people uh, excited for this one. And uh, we will be watching on on Friday. And I hope we get to do this again sometime soon. I I can't thank you enough, John. I always appreciate our talks. I'd love to do a follow up up on this. I also want to chat with Andrew again. Uh, So, yeah, let's in the in the coming months, let's let's get back together. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Again, check it out this coming Friday night. West Coast Pro Wrestling on YouTube. Timothy Thatcher in action against the returning Chris Hero, ending the streak of 1,350 days. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.